We are uh, continuing um, our series in Galatians this morning, and in fact, we are a little over um, halfway through our uh, series. In fact, last week was the halfway point, so we're a little over halfway, and if you're following through in the text, you'll see that we're a little over halfway through the book, so it works well that way. As we get started today, I want us to remember that three-part structure that we have talked about in Galatians. The, the first two chapters, the middle two chapters, and the last two chapters sort of form these three sections. The first two chapters, we saw Paul teaching about God's grace through the example of his own life. And in these middle two chapters, in chapters 3 and 4, which we're wrapping up today, we've seen that Paul has looked primarily to Scripture, and meaning here the Old Testament, that was the Scripture that he had, um, to show and teach about God's grace. He showed us how the Gospel has been present since the beginning of the promise that was made to Abraham. And how Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the completion of that promise. And how because of Jesus' fulfillment of the law and his completion of the promise, we can be and in fact are adopted by God into his family. So that we are now children and heirs of the promise. And so as we conclude this middle section as we conclude chapter 4 today we're going to be looking at we're going to be sort of be pulling out of the text three prayers to God three prayers to 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 ask God in his grace to do three things for us and in the process we're also going to look at these two sons of Abraham look at Ishmael and Isaac And so we are in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be starting with verse 8 and actually reading through the end of the chapter. It is a bit long, but if you are willing and able, will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So then, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? They court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. But it is always good to be pursued in a good manner, and not just when I am with you. My children, I am suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do without you. Tell me. You who want to be under the law, 
Don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through the promise. These things are being taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears the children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, You who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as, the, but just as then the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the Spirit, so also now. But what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. This is the word of God. Read it. Believe it. And live it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we open your word today, as we consider these two sons of Abraham, as we consider the law versus your grace, as we consider freedom versus slavery, I just pray that you would show us your word and how to live it that you would open our hearts to it. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. may be seated. As we we turn here, we see as we begin to pull out these, these three prayers, we we see in this passage a pastoral heart in Paul that we, we don't see in a lot of other places this, this fully, this, this clearly. To this moment in the, this letter to the churches in Galatia, Paul has been very confrontational. He's even called them, you foolish Galatians, which is not a terribly nice thing to say. I don't think you would take too kindly if I got up one morning and said, you foolish Fairmonters. He's been confrontational. And now we begin to see these words of affection and love and kinship. He calls them brothers three times in these verses. He calls them children once. We see that Paul loves them and cares for them and wants what is best for them. And that perhaps it is that love and that care and that concern that is driven him to be confrontational you know what we see here in this uh, body of chapter four none of this is new in galatians in fact paul's just sort of recapping his argument so far he's just driving the point home he's shown it from his own life he's shown it from looking at the covenants of abraham and moses and now he's driving the point home again showing how all of scripture points to this gospel that we are saved by Christ and Christ alone. 
And there, there are sort of two bookends here. There are two, two bookend sections. We have uh, verses 8 through 11, and then we have verses 21 through 31 that sort of bookend um, this. And, and in here, we see Paul returning to this image of slavery. He's used slavery language already in Galatians, and we see him returning to slavery. And he's reminding them of the transformation that has taken place in their lives, that they have been made free, that they have, as we saw last week, that they have been made heirs of the promise, and he is reminding them that heirship is better than slavery. That they've moved from slavery to to heirship, and and that they are better for it. And so, Like the Galatians, we need to pray that God would make us aware of the work of Christ in us so that we can walk in grace. And as we do that, as we begin to pray that prayer, as Paul is showing this to us, he gives us three sort of lenses that we've got to look through to understand who we are and how we got here. And that's what they are. are. These lenses are how we got here, who we are, and where we are going. And he He shows them this in these passages. In showing them how he got here, let's look at verses 21 through 31. And this conversation, this discourse on Sarah and Hagar and their two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Now, in case you don't remember the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and their sons, this is what it is. God comes to Abraham And he says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. You will be very plentiful. This is the promise. Your promise is your seed will be a blessing to all the world. uh, Abraham thinks that's great. There's one problem. I'm 100 and my wife is 90. So we're not sure how that's going to work. And so the promise is they go and they go. And finally, Sarah says, well, you know, I think what the deal is here is God just wants you to have an heir. And so the culture of our day says that if I can't give you an heir, you can take one of my slaves, one of my personal slaves, and you can sleep with her and have an heir with her. So why don't you do that? And Abraham says, okay, and does it. And this slave woman, this handmaiden, is a woman named Hagar, and she has a son, and he is named Ishmael. The problem is, is that's not what God's promise had been. God's promise had been that Abraham and Sarah were going to have a child. And so you may remember this where another um, messenger from the Lord comes to them and, and Sarah is hiding outside the tent and he says again that she is going to have a child. In fact, that he's going to see them in a year. And within the year, she's going to, when he comes back, she will have a child. And she, what does she do? She laughs. That's where his name comes from, where Isaac comes from. And sure enough, sure enough, she has this son named Isaac, this, the son of the promise. And so Paul takes this story found in Genesis of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael. And he says, he says, look, this is, this is, this is figurative. We're going to read this figuratively. What we're going to do is we're going to figure this out and we're going to see how the gospel is present in this story. 
Now, when you read Genesis, and we, we sort of read this story a, a few weeks ago in our reading plan, as you read this story, you're probably not going to see a whole lot of gospel in it. But, but what Paul is showing us is that the gospel is present everywhere. Because what happens? What happens is Sarah and Abraham decide that they want the promise of God, but they're not willing to wait on God. They're not willing to trust God to deliver on that promise. So they are, by the work of their own effort, going to fulfill God's promise. By their own strength, their own power, their own wit, they are going to see that God's promise is fulfilled. And so they concoct this plan that Abraham and Hagar will have a child together. And see, this is what Paul means when he says that Ishmael was born according to the flesh. He was born according to to human machination and human effort. He was born as a result of them trying to fulfill this promise from God apart from God. And so, what Paul tells us is that Ishmael and Hagar, his The slave woman and her child born into slavery represent the enslavement of the people to the law and sin. Our enslavement to the law and the sin. When we think that we can make God's will come about through our own power. But see, here's the thing. We're not made heirs of God through the law. We're only made heirs by the Spirit. Paul's just repeating what he's been telling us repeatedly already in Galatians, that we have not been obedient to the law, and because we have disobeyed the law, we've all disobeyed the law, all human beings, with the exception of Jesus, of course, who kept it perfectly, because of that disobedience, salvation cannot, will not, come through the law. And so our salvation comes because we are awakened by the Spirit. This is Isaac. Isaac comes not by work of the flesh. Isaac comes because he is only possible by a supernatural intervention of God. You do not take a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman and get a child without the supernatural intervention of God. The promise... And God's fulfillment of that promise will never, can never, come to pass because of our work. It can only come to pass because God sends His Spirit and intervenes. So that's how we've gotten here. But, but who are we? Because we've been awakened by the Spirit, because we've been saved by the Spirit, we are not slaves to religion. We're not slaves to the law anymore. Rather, we are children of freedom. There's a, some verses here that can make us very uncomfortable. Paul equates the observant of Jewish holy days with pagan worship. Now, obviously, Jewish Holidays are not pagan. They are not demonic. But but if you are following them, expecting that they are 
the way or even just a way to make yourself right with God, then they are, Paul is telling us, no different than the pagan holidays and observances that the Galatians had practiced before they knew Christ. Sounds good? Easy for us? I don't celebrate Passover. Passover's coming up. I'm not going to celebrate Passover. I don't celebrate Yom Kippur. I don't celebrate Hanukkah, so I'm good, right? Well, let's, let's contemporize this. Let's, let's bring it forward. Let's, let's look at our context. If you are coming to church, and worshiping, and reading the Bible, and praying, thinking that this is how you are going to earn God's favor, then you are no different than a Hindu bowing down before a false god. If you call yourself a Christian, but your religion is just a series of boxes that you seek to check off in order to make yourself feel good, thinking that you are saving your own skin for when the day of righteousness and judgment comes, then your Christianity is no different than any other religion in the world. It is devoid of the gospel and the saving grace of Christ. And it is, in fact, a scheme of the devil. This is a scheme that was present here in the first century. We see it. Hey, hey, remember, it's Jesus plus. It's Jesus, but you've got to do this other stuff too. A false gospel. It's a lie, and all lies come from the devil. It's a scheme that was present then, and it's a scheme that's present now. I want to offer something to you that will make you uncomfortable, because it made me uncomfortable when I thought about it and realized it this week. What if the devil wants us to go to church? What if the devil wants us to go to church? What if Satan wants us to lead a prayer group? What if he wants us to to worship and lead our family well? What if the devil wants us to do those things just so long as we think that by doing them, we are working our way to God? Okay, I pray, you say. Congratulations. So do Muslims, five times a day. But, but I go to worship, yep. So do Hindus, a lot. I study the Bible. You know some of the people who can quote the Bible better than anybody else I know? Jehovah's Witnesses. But, but I evangelize and I go on mission trips. There is nobody, there is nobody that does evangelism, door-to-door evangelism, mission work better than the Mormons. Reading your Bible, praying, going to worship, evangelizing does not make you a Christian. If your Christianity is making you a slave of religion in order to make you right before God, then you might as well be a pagan because you aren't a Christian. Because Christianity is radically different than any of the other religions of the world. And I know that it's very popular these days to say, well, all of the world's religions are basically the same. They basically teach the same things. No, they don't. Because if it's Islam, if it's Hinduism, if it's Buddhism, if it's Jainism, if it's 
um, uh, Judaism, they all teach the same thing. They all teach you've got to do something yourself to get to God. Christianity alone says there is nothing I can do to get me to God. And so God came to me. Are there similar ethics across world religions? Are there similar ethical teachings? Yes. And we understand that those things come from God by way of common grace. Because God has created the world, He has ordered the world, and when we look at it, we can see certain truths about Him from His creation. But the Gospel, the true center of our faith, is unique. God came to us. And God did the work for us. There's a reason that the the two big holidays in Christianity are what? Christmas and Easter. Because God came to us, Christmas, and God did the work for us, Easter. That is what makes you a Christian. Not the work of your own hand. And because He came to us, and because He did this work for us, we are able to be in relationship with Him. We are able to be His heirs. And the question that I have for you is this. If you could live as a slave, or if you could live as an heir, why would you choose to live as a slave? The prodigal son finds himself in a far country, eating with the pigs. And I'll remind you what it meant for a young Jewish man to be eating with the pigs. He is at rock bottom of rock bottom. He's not, he, he hit rock bottom and he kept digging. And so he comes home and he's, what, what does he say? He says, he says I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, let me simply live as a slave in your house. And what does the father do? He welcomes him in. He wraps him in his robe. He puts his ring on his finger. He makes him an heir again. And what we don't have in that story is a prodigal son saying, no, no, no. I'm not going to live as an heir. I'm going to live as a slave. When the grace of the father allows the son to return and live as an heir The son, in perhaps the first smart thing he's done in the story, accepts it. Why would we choose to live as a slave when we can live as an heir? We are heirs and not slaves. That is who we are. The third prayer, the third question, request that we have of God that Paul pulls out of this is to show us where we are going. He's shown us how we've gotten here. He's shown us who we are. And now he wants, to, to, wants us to know where we are going. In verse 25, 425, Paul compares Hagar to the, to the earthly Jerusalem, a, a symbol of slavery. And he contrasts that with the heavenly Jerusalem. See, we're not, we're not living for earthly pleasures. 
We're not enslaved by the weak and miserable principles of the world. And they are weak and miserable. I don't know about you. I have, I have friends who are fully enslaved to the secular worldview. And I love them. And they are miserable. They are miserable. But they are so enslaved to it that they can't see a way out of it. Because it's, they've been told over and over and over again, that's how you get happiness. That's how you get fulfillment. And they're miserable. This is the thing. This is the, this is the lie, right? The lie is, man, I'm going to go out. I'm going to party. I'm going to drink. I'm going to do drugs. I'm going to sleep with anybody I want to. I'm going to be happy. Have you ever known anybody who lived that lifestyle who ended up happy? I don't. They end up miserable. They end up with broken relationships. They end up just, ugh. See, we're no longer in bondage to this world. So the question is, why are we going to live like we are? God, we want us, God, to show us how to walk in His grace. We've got to remember where we came from. We've got to remember who we are. And we've got to remember where we're going. And when we do those three things, we can walk in His grace. The second prayer is this. The second prayer is, God, help us to trust Your Word. Here for a few verses, Paul sort of turns back to his own life experience. He reminds them of what he was like when he came to them. You know, he said that when I, come, when I came to you, I became like you. See, Paul is, Paul is evangelizing not Jews, he's evangelizing Gentiles. And so he put away some of his Jewishness when he came to the Gentiles so that they could hear and see the gospel and so that they would not think that their salvation was dependent on the Jewish aspects of Paul's identity. And so Paul's asking them to do that now. To to stop living like they needed to do certain things in the law in order to be saved. He reminds them that when he came to them, he was sick. And we don't really know what Paul's sickness was. We know over and over again Paul references the fact that he's, he's probably not a terribly healthy man physically. And when he comes to them, he is, he is sick. Instead of rejecting him, which would have been pretty much par for the course at the time, they brought him in and they cared for him. And in fact, they did it with joy. And yet now he says, you're treating me like an enemy. See, Paul's trials reminds us that we, that we need God, God's help in trusting his word. Because God, God has to help us to, to live His Word when it's not easy. You know, it's not easy to, to leave behind the things that make you who you are. You know, it's, it's, these weren't just religious practices that Paul is putting to the side. These are, these are markers of cultural and ethnic identity. This is, this is Paul being from... Robeson County, North Carolina, moving to Chicago, Illinois, 
to preach the gospel and getting rid of his southern accent and never again eating fried chicken. I mean, and that's kind of a silly example, but it's, it, those things are important, right, to who you are. I mean, I mean these, these, these cultural markers of who we are, they connect us to our past. They connect us to our families. They connect us to our identity. And Paul is saying, look, I put all of that aside to bring you the gospel because of the word of God. That's not easy. That's not easy. I mean, I, I know there are certain things that I have a really hard time putting aside. But Paul put him aside. He put him aside to preach the gospel. And he was ostracized for it. We, we have to remember, it was not easy to convert to Christianity in the first century. It was not easy. There was, there was real persecution. And the persecution didn't just come from the world. The persecution came from within inside the religious establishment as well. We see that in God's word over and over and over again. The prophets are persecuted. Who persecutes the prophets? The king's priests. Jesus is persecuted. Who persecutes Jesus? It's, it's the religious establishment. Paul's persecuted. Paul does the persecution as part of that religious establishment, and then after his conversion, he's persecuted by that same religious establishment, and then by these Judaizers that he's been talking about all through Galatians. See, when we start to live radically by grace, it will cost us. And it's going to cost us with the outside world, sure, but it's also going to cause trouble from within the religious world as well. So we need to ask God to, to help us live His Word even when it's not easy. We, I, I, I commend to you every week when we read, right? To read it, to believe it, and to live it. But let me tell you, you can't do those last two things apart from the Holy Spirit. You can only believe it because of the Holy Spirit, and you can only live it because of the Holy Spirit. Paul also is reminding us that we need help. We need to ask God to help us hear His Word even when it's not popular. You know, we live the truth when it's not easy, but hear it when it's not popular. What does he say there in verse 16, right? He says that I'm your enemy, but he, what he says is this. So then, have I become your enemy because I have told you the truth? Paul has given them hard things. Paul has given them hard things, not because he hates them, but because he loves them. The truth is hard sometimes isn't it? The truth and telling, giving someone the truth can make you seem like an enemy. But as long as God's Word is guiding us, let's ask God to help us hear it and receive it, even when it's not popular. And the final thing that we need to be praying for is for God to give us zeal in our purpose, for God to give us passion for Him. We need, we need passion to be conformed into the image of Christ. Paul says in verse 19, I'm, I'm suffering labor pains 
for you until Christ is formed in you. We need to be conformed to the image of Christ. We need to be shaped by God into the image of Christ. We also need zeal and we need passion to see others transformed for the glory of Christ. Paul doesn't go through what Paul goes through in life. His shipwrecks, his, his death threats, his persecution, unless he has a great zeal, a great passion to see others transformed. To see others conformed. He says this right here. He says, he says, he says I feel like I'm in labor waiting for you to be transformed. I'm going to point out that Paul is a man. As far as we know, Paul was not married and Paul does not have any children. So, we're just going to take that and acknowledge that when we say that Paul is using this language of labor pains to discuss watching people formed. But I'm guessing that Paul has, in the world that he lives in, has seen labor. And seen the pain that it causes. Do you undergo that pain if you don't want to see a new birth. And in fact, that pain sometimes is the cost of the new birth. We don't like pain. We don't like discomfort. We don't like a lot of those things. In fact, so it becomes very easy for us to avoid them. But if we have real passion to see others transformed, to see others be saved the way that we have been transformed and the way that we have been saved, we will gladly take on that pain and that suffering and that discomfort to see them transformed. In another place, Paul says this. He says, he says if the to see one salvation is my own eternal damnation, I will gladly accept it. That's passion. To see people come to know and be formed by Jesus. We are children of the promise. That's who we are. We are children of the promise. And because of that, we can experience God in real and powerful ways. And because of that, we don't have to live like slaves. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 444.